You're listening to a Natural Products Insider podcast, now on Google Play. With Heather Granato, Vice President, Content, Health, and Nutrition. Brought to you by Supply Side West, October 15th through the 19th in Las Vegas. Welcome to the Healthy Insider Podcast. I'm Heather Granato. Thank you for joining us for this edition, which is part of our Supply Side West series leading into our live event this October at Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. Today, I'm pleased to have Zoe Feldman, director of the Chobani Incubator, here to talk a bit about her role as well as her commitment and that of her company to diversity and inclusion initiatives. Zoe, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I know I had spoken with you about joining our workshop at Supply Side West, Diversity and Inclusion, Good Business for All. I've found that the topic of diversity and inclusion in the workplace is increasingly high profile as companies find that focusing on the issues can really create more engaged employees, attract loyal customers, and support a profitable business. And when we originally connected, Zoe, I have really found that we both have a passion for raising the profile of the issues of diversity and inclusion and how they really can benefit business and lead to great change in our world. So perhaps I'd I'd just like to start a little bit with you offering some of your background and maybe speaking to your personal commitment to developing a more diverse and inclusive workplace and the benefits that you've seen in, in your career. Sure. Um, I think, you know, from my perspective, just a quick aside to give it some context, you know, people have been studying diversity and inclusion in the workplace and these strong positive correlations with better financial performance for years. It's just only started to gain, um, you know, uh, speed in the in the media over the last couple of years as diversity and inclusion becomes a really important part for companies for their recruiting and retention of employees. So um, McKinsey's been studying diversity and inclusion um, as, and its impact on business for a long time, and they've shown its lead to better financial outcomes, better competitive advantage, and a much stronger future business state advantage. Um, and a really good example of that is, you know, by 2020, which is next year, um, LGBTQ-identified individuals will control over a trillion dollars of purchasing power. So in my mind, you know, as a member of that community, um, a team that's representative of different demographics has a really much better understanding of those demographics' decision behaviors in the market and how they impact a business. And so it's it's an eloquent way of, of saying, you know, um, representation matters, which is pretty much, I think, the one-liner I've been using throughout my career. Um, you know, and for me, I think generationally and as a young woman who has identified as LGBT, um, you know, in, in my life, I always felt that looking for a mentor who also identified as LGBT was really important. And as it turns out, I really never found one. Um, it just wasn't something that I was able to find over the course of my career. And unfortunately it's still not something I'm able to find, but I realized at some point over the last couple of years that I could be a mentor to other people in the LGBT community. So I had kind of kept, you know, my ideas around diversity and inclusion, I guess pretty close to my, my chest. But then once I realized that 
it would be silly for me to not do for others what I never had. Then I decided to take a more active role and a more vocal role, um, you know, in trying to be a voice for more underrepresented minorities in business. So over the course of my career, yeah, I mean, I just, over the course of my career, you know, I've worked in fairly male dominated fields. Um, You know, so being a woman identifying obviously as female was, was always a little challenging just because it was different and a little more unique, but um, identifying more as LGBT was just not something I ever thought was, you know, particularly important um, until one day I just sort of realized that in, in fact it was, and I should probably be more vocal about why that mattered. I love hearing that. I think we've all found that issues continue to expand. So where it used to be, you know, let's focus on women in leadership and let's do that. I think the more you have the discussions and invite people to bring their whole selves to the table, the more you see the benefits of a workplace that welcomes more points of view. I think also the demographic shift that we're seeing in the workforce is driving a lot of that. I think there's a lot more from a cultural standpoint that's very welcoming now and almost insisting that businesses get with the program as well. I think that that culture of inclusion really benefits employees, the companies they work for, and ultimately the customers we serve. Yes, I'm fully in agreement. And I think, you know, a large part of it is is just a generational shift in identity politics. And I think part of it is that, you know, benefits honestly are catching up. I mean, you know, women in the workplace, I'm I'm rounding the bend to 35 now, and I have a lot of friends who are um, choosing to have children later in their careers. So they have to go through IVF, for example. That's a great, that's a great example of a benefit that maybe 10 or 15 years ago, you know, my female friends who are in the workforce maybe wouldn't have necessarily known to ask for or cared about, but because it's become very personal for them, that's suddenly become important for them. You know, does my, does the comp and benefits package in this job I'm considering taking cover IVF, um, you know, in case I choose to have children later in life, or does it cover domestic partner benefits or does it cover, you know, um, how, how much, you know, paid leave is there for parental um, for parents, both, both, you know, male and female, I, I think it's, it's born out of a generational shift as so many younger people enter the workforce and are really looking for, um, you know, ways in which their self-identities and self-expressions, honestly, the way it, it tangibly translates into some kind of workplace benefits for them, because it can't just be about compensation anymore. Right. When we got connected, one of the things I found interesting was your new role with the Chobani Incubator and how you brought a lot of awareness of the issues of diversity and inclusion to uh, the makeup of this year's incubator class. I'd love a little bit of context around the opportunity and how that's been progressing. Sure. I mean, I took this role about a year ago um, coming from venture capital, which is overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly male, and overwhelmingly wealthy. And I, you know, again, representation really matters, but there are a lot of people, this country is very big. It's very, very, very diverse in a lot of ways. And there are a lot of people who are founders um, of all stripes in every vertical you can imagine who don't have access, whether it's access to resources, access to capital, and largely it's an issue of class. Um, You know, there's a lot of folks who, uh, were first in their family to go to college, for example. Maybe they didn't go to college. They didn't have that opportunity. Maybe they grew up in a rural community. 
um, you know, didn't have certain access that folks that I know who grew up wealthy in San Francisco or New York did. So it's about equality for me is about offering a seat at the table. It's offering access, um, which means offering opportunity. So I realized in my role, you know, this incubator has been around for three years. We're very highly well regarded. Um, I would obviously say we're the best in the industry. Um, you know, it's an altruistic program that is, uh, it's an altruistic program that our founder and CEO, Hamdi Ulakaya, put out into the world, strictly because he just wanted to pay it forward to the ecosystem. So we take no equity in these businesses. We give them a $25,000 grant and we support them, you know, for four months with very robust programming. And so the opportunity for folks to learn and grow their business is tremendous. And we have typically between six and 700 applications every cycle. And when I joined, I told my team, Mitch and Sarah, um, who'd both been here for several of the prior cohorts, that I really wanted us to focus on more diverse founders because historically it hadn't been focused, the program hadn't been focused on diversity. And for me, it's so important, especially having come from venture capital, you know, again, where only one or 2% of dollars, depending on what, you know, research you read, goes to female founders. And it's like 0.01% of that goes to founders of color. It's pretty abhorrent. So it's basically what's called unconscious bias. So it's where, you know, you have a lot of people in venture capital funding these businesses who fund people who look exactly like them or with whom they can self-identify. And I always said, you know, it's really, I mean, obviously that's unfair, right? And it's really up to programs like the Chobani Incubator to set the precedent for the rest of the industry. So we ended up accepting eight companies, 63% of whom were female founded or co-founded and 75% of which were founded or co-founded by underrepresented minority founders. So we had several folks um, who were immigrants. We had a husband and wife team who were refugees from Syria. We had one founder that identified as LGBTQ. Um, we had several founders that were not college educated. Um, you know, we've got a lot of folks here who are doing some pretty incredible work for whom, you know, diversity and inclusion, it's just, you know, it's who they are. They're just, you know, not sort of the, the straight and narrow, I guess, to, to give it kind of a funny term, but um, these were folks for a lot of reasons, you know, who grew up in rural communities, who weren't able to go to college because their family couldn't afford it, who self-taught, um, you know, themselves how to build manufacturing facilities. I mean, some pretty extraordinary talent. And I just thought to myself, you know, we need to get more folks into the incubator who, um, you know, represent a broader perspective and point of view. Totally agree on that. It's one of the things we'll be discussing in our workshop is an initiative that Laura Dickinson uh, is leading and called uh, the JEDI Group, and it's Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. So a lot of what you talked about there in terms of giving a seat at the table, talking about folks from all kinds of points of view. So you know, economic underadvantage is coming into play, and I love seeing the opportunities that are opening up as people become more aware of unconscious bias and trying to catch themselves and see what their role may be in addressing that in the workplace. I think, you know, as, as business owners, I mean, obviously the role of business and society now is very different than it was, I would argue, even two or three years ago. So people are really looking to brands to set a precedent and possibly sometimes even be a moral compass. And so I think it's very, very important now for businesses to set a precedent and show 
that they're open to inclusivity and diversity of all kinds. And that, by the way, that also means diversity of thought and opinion, including political thought and opinion. I think that that's really important to point out. I absolutely agree. I think there's an opportunity for all of us to open our minds and not only confer with those who look like us and think like us um, and have been on the same career path. So much that you can learn if you'll just open yourself up to the opportunity. I wanted to yes. also mention, I had read recently uh, that Chobani was named by Fast Company as one of the 50 best workplaces for innovators. And I thought, really interesting to think about a company fostering innovation internally. I'd be curious as to your thought, how that fits when you have a company that's also committed to diversity and inclusion. Well, Chobani is an interesting business, right? Because we are still privately held by our founder CEO Hamdi, who you know is a Turkish immigrant who came to the U.S. and started this very successful business. And he really believes in bringing your whole self to work in a way that I've never seen before. It's really quite extraordinary. And so the vision here is really just about equal representation, and it's about respect and recognition for all types of diversity. You know, we've got folks in Soho, New York City, we have folks in upstate New York, and then we have the majority of our employees in the manufacturing facilities in Twin Falls, Idaho, and in Norwich, New York, which is upstate near Syracuse. So lots of different, you know, kinds of people with lots of different backgrounds and sets of skills and stories. And he really has been such a champion of all the efforts around diversity and inclusion. Um, and we actually formalized it uh, in the fall right after I joined. So I sit now on this newly formed diversity and inclusion um, committee. It's fairly small. Um, it's with three other individuals and we represent kind of the Soho office. And it's really just about ensuring, you know, diverse employees are included and respected and also embraced in discussions and initiatives and events. And it's really celebrating diverse employees. And I think when you have a founder CEO like Hamdi who champions diversity because he identifies as diverse and he understands why representation matters, it's a trickle-down effect, right? It always starts from the top, and so it's important to him. It's important to Peter McGinnis, who's my boss, who's our um, chief demand officer. These guys have been champions of it since day one, and now it's a more formalized part of the culture and the DNA here. So having them be champions of it in a way that, you know, is real, it's, it's tangible, it's not some corporate initiative, that's not really what it's like here. It's a very flat organization. And so, you know, we have our head of our people team, the head of legal and our CFO on our executive team who are all huge champions of pretty much anything we do around DNI. So it's been nice to work in an environment like that. And I think that's why folks here, especially on the creative side, are really able to bring their whole selves to work, be who they are, and not be afraid to express opinions, which makes it a more interesting place to work and probably fuels a lot of that innovation, I would argue. Totally agree on that as well. So as we're uh, wrapping up, if you could encourage companies to do just one thing around diversity and inclusion, what would it be and what might the benefits be that they would realize? I think it's just about, I mean, look, it starts from the top, right? So it's all about management making a commitment. And then I think it really is also around having um, your HR team, anybody who does your recruitment, really figuring out how do you bring more diverse employees into the fold? You know, maybe considering backgrounds if you have, let's say you have a job description 
out in the marketplace for somebody and you require them to be college educated, you know, reconsider that. Do you really need somebody with a college degree to do this role? Um, or can you train somebody with a high school diploma? I think offering opportunities starts from the people side and it starts from management saying, hey, we really want to embrace diversity and make sure we have an inclusive workforce. And that to me, it always begins with recruiting. Um, you know, I'm looking in unexpected places. I mean, I'm, I went to a women's college and I remember when I was in college, we had no investment banks that were coming to campus and doing recruiting. And now because I have some friends working at investment banks, they have now encouraged their leadership, their management and their HR teams to go out and start recruiting at women's colleges. It just wasn't something that was done even 10 or 15 years ago. Um, you know, especially now with a lot of folks trying to figure out how to get into STEM as well as, you know, working with underrepresented minority populations. There's a whole group of people, um, you know, in, in the U.S. now who are figuring out how to create more diverse workplaces with regard to recruiting and retaining talent. And that's what I would say. My biggest piece of advice is, you know, figure out what your pipeline is for recruiting and then how to retain folks, um, you know, who are diverse and can bring that different perspective to the workplace. It's really all about people at the end of the day. Well, thank you so much. I love these insights. I'm really excited to have you share even more of those in our workshop at Supply Side West. As I noted, our diversity and inclusion, good business for all workshop is taking place at Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas on Wednesday, October 16th. So for those of you in our listening audience, you can find more information online at supplysidewest.com. Zoe, again, thank you so much. I appreciate you joining me today. Thank you so much, Heather. For more award-winning podcasts from industry experts, go to insider.com and click in the podcast section. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play by searching Healthy Insider Podcast. Hit subscribe to never miss an episode. This edition of the Healthy Insider Podcast is brought to you by Supply Side West, October 15th through the 19th in Las Vegas.